0: Throughout Britain, men and women are foregoing the nine till five jobs introduced during the industrial age as they embrace new technologies within the digital revolution. And these two chaps are here to help. Welcome to the Powerful Nonsense Podcast, the show about mindfulness and entrepreneurship in the digital economy, with your hosts, Wayne Ingram and Jem Yildiz. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Powerful Nonsense Podcast. I hope you're getting ready for Christmas. You're all having a good time, rushing around doing your Christmas shopping. Um, as you'll probably notice, this week we're about Wayne Ingram, who's actually busy off being an actor. So um, congratulations, Wayne. And um, I look forward to coming and seeing your show, which is The Christmas Carol at the Trinity Theatre. For anybody who's, who's around in London or close by, you can actually come down. So this week um because obviously wayne's away we couldn't do a discussion by myself that would just be a bit weird so we actually got um junior Ogunyemi, the writer of how to be a student entrepreneur this is a really really long podcast actually the longest one we've done so far so i thought it would probably be best to kind of split this one up so i'm gonna do it as a two-parter i'm actually off to um, new york tomorrow so i thought i want to get this out before i go so when i get back i can get the second part of this um episode out so I hope you enjoy it, and um, obviously, hopefully, Wayne will be back on the next one. We'll see how it goes, but um, I hope you enjoy it. He, he literally, Junior, puts so much knowledge out there. It's, I mean, he, we we discussed the book How to Be a Student Entrepreneur, but there's so many extra points in there. I love way he talks about how his family really um, sort of influenced him to become an entrepreneur and some of the wisdom that they passed down to him. And how important it is really just have people around you or kind of constantly supporting your entrepreneurial dreams. So here's Junior, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Junior, welcome to the Powerful Nonsense Podcast.
1: Um, how are you? I'm really good, man. I'm really good. Thank you so much for having me. So well, thank have...
0: you for coming on. Would you like to um, introduce yourself to our audience, first of all?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm Junior Ogunyemi. I'm a social entrepreneur, inspirational speaker, and I'm also the proud author of the book, How to Be a Student Entrepreneur. Um, I travel up and down the country to different schools, colleges, business events, really helping people tap into the entrepreneur within and um, and drawing out you know the entrepreneurial mindset that I think everybody possesses just helping them to cultivate that um, so I've worked on several government campaigns, I've, like I said I've worked with several universities schools and um, right now I'm working on um, helping young professionals get out the rat race so delivering a series, series of seminars um, just to sort of teach that aspect of things and prepare people basically for the future that I believe we're all going into where where the only people that are going to survive there are the entrepreneurs quite frankly yeah
0: that's really great to hear because that's the exact reason why i wanted to start the podcast because obviously digital economies coming, people are moving out that's of the it. office computing and robots and machinery is taking away certain jobs so people have to start thinking creatively creatively really
1: exactly exactly yeah, so, and, yeah
0: so have you always been an
1: entrepreneur like where did this start um, do you know what, I, I think it probably started when I was about 13 years old, do you know? Mm-hmm. And um, my oldest brother gave me the best advice, he said, find something you like doing and get someone to pay you for it. Um, and that was just my mindset, going forward I felt great, I've heard all the adults in my life moaning about their jobs, how they hate it and um, when I'm an adult I'm just going to find something I like doing and get someone to pay me for it. And I like to play in football just like every other young person in, in the UK. And um, I'm a Chelsea fan, but unfortunately, Jose Mourinho didn't sign me at Chelsea. So. <laughs> yeah, I was
0: still so, waiting for Man United to sign me up. <laughs> exactly.
1: So. Since since that didn't happen, um, at the age of 16, I thought I'm going to set up my own football coaching academy. Um, I think the next best thing to actually play in football was, would be to actually help other people make it. Um, so I started coaching football from the age of about 15, actually. By the age of 16, 17, um, I gathered some friends together and we set up a football coaching academy. Um, in a local area, just myself and and these other guys, we had about twenty kids in a local park, and then we went from working with twenty kids to about over a hundred kids every single week in the space of about two years. Um, I started sending coaches out to schools and stuff, and started employing people, and and realising that I'm going have just developed all these different entrepreneurial skills. I started managing finance, started doing all sorts of marketing, pitching, um, and and that's when I started to develop these entrepreneurial skills and. Even at that point I still didn't really consider myself as an entrepreneur. Um, I just had lots of different creative ideas and it, I just I still had that sort of promise to myself that I'll always be working with my passion. So I used these entrepreneurial skills to set up other businesses, I've set up um, a publishing company, printing student magazines, set up several um, mastermind groups and, and networking events and online ventures and just playing around with lots of different ideas that I was really sort of passionate about and creating things that I always wanted to use myself. And um, oh, I'm sorry, yeah, carry on. Sorry. Um, so yeah, so so through all of that, um, I had lots of people coming up to me afterwards saying, "Junior, I see you're quite you know successful doing your stuff. I've got this idea. Could you help me birth the idea?" And and I think that's where the sort of consultation and the speaking and people used to drag me up on stage to come and share my story and and help other people make it happen for themselves, really.
0: So was it really like, was entrepreneurship sort of very popular in your household? Was it just your brother? Was your parents entrepreneurs? Was your brother just sort of gave you that advice and left it at that?
1: Uh, it's it is actually, it's always been embedded in my, it's almost in like our DNA actually. Um, even though my mom and dad, they worked really, really hard as employees, they always had an entrepreneurial mindset. I mean, my parents came from Africa, so over there it's like, there's no job, you create your own job. And that's the sort of survival mentality that they just had. I remember my mum, I never actually thought my mum was much of an entrepreneur. Um, I thought maybe I got the entrepreneurial spark just from my dad because um, he sort of went back to Nigeria and he set up a hotel over there and he's, he's, he, he used to tell us stories about how he used to run a pig farm back in the day and all these <laughs> other crazy ventures he did. Um, but it was only until I got older. Um, and I realized that my mom, once I was getting lots of business advice from actually my mom, when she saw me bring in lots of different like sign up to different ventures, she was really encouraging it, which was um, a bit odd coming from a, a typical African background because normally they're like, you know, you could become a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant, but I guess my mom sort of understood um, the, the entrepreneurial spark and, and she, was, she was really happy to encourage that within me and she used to tell us stories about how she used to Create bars of soap and sell it on the streets and stuff back in back home and um even now she's she's opened up a warehouse and she's supplying um basic commodities and food and and she's helping running the hotel back home as well so um seeing my mom make like really awesome business decisions and seeing how she does things, it's like, wow, um I thought I was the entrepreneur in the family, but you know she's we could clearly see where we we got it from, and um I think it's sort of been quite contagious. Uh, my my oldest brother he was the first one to sort of jump into it and I quickly followed suit but then um, since then my sister's also set up um, which is something that's possibly the the biggest natural hair brand in the UK Um, and my other brother he's gone into sort of uh, he was an investment bank and now he's gone into sort of consultancy so he's self-employed as well so it's like we've all just sort of taken the leap (laughs) um, just by being inspired by each other and um, yeah it's just something that's sort of now embedded in, in our DNA and it's just our typical mindset now right what's the next venture we can work on and what's the next thing that we're doing but we're all sort of doing individual stuff but we all really have that entrepreneurial drive now
0: So was there sort of any sort of lessons that your your dad said or your mum spoke about that really sort of stick with you?
1: Oh loads, loads I mean literally I could write a whole book on Maybe um, <laughs> I mean, that's the next one <laughs> Yeah exactly <laughs> um, but yeah I think it was um my My dad really did press on sort of pushing your skills, never ever being complacent and he he did it throughout his own lifestyle as well um he had goals that he he had setbacks and, setbacks and setbacks and setbacks and setbacks, and he still went and pushed until he actually achieved it and where where most people would have just given up, he just kept on going and kept on going so he he really did sort of drill in having a vision and he didn't just talk about it he actually demonstrated it um with with the stuff that we saw him pursuing as, as we were growing up and and he'll tell us the places that okay this is where i'm going to be in a few years time when by the time you guys are this age i'm going to be doing this stuff and you know you use hair every single year but you you just you wish him the best um and then now looking back he's actually fulfilled all those promises that he made to us and 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 it's just like wow you know you've got to live an example um so I think my parents were, were they, they told their stories and their advice through their lifestyle. Uh, my mom is another one with hard work. I mean, she gave me the, the, the simplest principle, which, which was if you want something done, do it straight away. Uh, my mom was not a procrastinator. And, <laughs> I, you know, you, you sort of take it for granted. You're like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it later, mom. I'll do it later. And she's like, no, do it now. And I didn't quite get it. Why? She was always sort of pressed on actually doing it right now, do it right now, just get it out of the way and do it right now. Um, but as you start running your own business, and you take that bad mentality, like yeah, I'll do this later, I'll do this later, you realise that you know procrastination is settling in, and things aren't getting done in the end, and you know your 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 list is just piling up.
0: Gives you too um, many too much time for excuses to form.
1: Exactly, exactly. So when when I had to sort of go back and actually start taking on her advice, because you know when you're when you're young, you're thinking, I oh, look, Mom, I'm already making money. I know how to handle my business. I don't need the business advice from you. And then you realize that, hang on, I do, I actually need to start paying attention to everything you're telling me and actually getting stuff out of the way and doing it now. Um, you start seeing a re- simple simple behavior changes like that and simple mindset shift. you start seeing how it just changes your whole life and puts everything into order. Um, and again, she demonstrated that. If she said she was gonna do something, she'll do it right now. And I said, Mom, can I get this later on? She'll make sure she goes out and get it now. And um, it, it, it's something that that is actually a behaviour pattern that, that I've also sort of started carrying on as well now. And it's contributed so much to my success, just simple principles like that.
0: Definitely. How did that, um, I mean, from 13 years of age and then finding out about entrepreneurship and then usually you think at 13 you're going into secondary school and literally you're getting hammered every single day at how important it's <laughs> going to be for your future to get that job. Like, how did that change the way you approach education?
1: Um, I... I was serious about education. Um, I think it was actually when I went back to Nigeria for the first time, because um, even when I was born there, I didn't go back till I was about 15 years old. And you know, growing up, you sort of feel like oh, I'm in a council flat and we see your family struggling and you think that you've got it bad until you actually go back there and you realize, hang on, you know, I'm not from the hood by no means. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I've got food, I've got clothes, I've got PlayStations, I've got I've got the, the latest trainers, and I've got all these resources in abundance that other people don't have. Uh, so when I came back, you're just putting so much stuff in perspective. Understanding stuff like, you know, education actually isn't free. Um, some people have to pay the life fortune just to get educated, and, and I've got it here free, so I'm, I'm going to maximize every single opportunity I, I get. And um, so that, that really did put things in perspective for me. Um, so education became something serious. And it was also something that my parents really, really drilled in. Um, my dad always said something, even if you want to be a carpenter, an educated carpenter is a lot more useful than an uneducated one. So man, no matter what it is that I wanted to do, if I wanted to be an actor, or even if I wanted to go into the creative field, I still needed a good academic foundation. Um, but for me, personally, um, especially by the time I was running my own businesses at 16, I, I sort of already knew what I was going to do. But I carried on with the educational path because it was my sort of plan B. Um, I knew what was my plan A was to set up my businesses in in every area that I'm passionate about. But my um, if if that should fail, because I know a business can be risky, if that should fail, I know that at least I have a good academic background that I can always fall back onto. So um, it made me a lot more bolder when it went out to actually taking that leap of faith and and. And being risky in business because I mean, you know worst worst comes to worst, I've still got a degree that I can pick off the shelf and and probably try and do something with. Um, so I'm actually going to go, f- you know, full steam ahead with my business stuff. So um, it gave me a lot more security when going forward. I think when people have no sort of safety net to fall back on, it it scares them to actually take that leap of faith. Whereas me, I wasn't I wasn't as scared, I guess.
0: That's really cool. Um, Obviously you set up your business when you were um, 16, you're saying with your football business, like what? Um, obviously you're doing your GCSEs at the same time. Like what were the first steps? Like, how did you even get going? Like was your parents sort of saying, oh, well this is what you got to do first or was it literally just jump in and see how things
1: go? Do you know, what? my parents didn't even know about my first businesses. Um, <laughs> they, were, they literally, they just sort of left me to my own device. They knew that I was in my bedroom cooking up something. Um, <laughs> they just sort of started seeing these packages come to the house and stuff and just brought our juniors up to something. Well, we don't really know. Um, and it was like there were sort of several little ventures that I was just playing around with. My mum would just walk in and she'd see a pile of money on the floor and she's thinking, All "Right, I know he didn't rob a bank, so I'll just let him <laughs> carry on with his business. So what were um, these little ventures? Um, so for example, one of them was um, I created a, we, we, well, I was, I was actually asked to create a yearbook for my college, um, but we didn't, we only had about two weeks left and I literally we had no money. Um, so I thought I'm gonna borrow my brother's camera, camcorder, and I'm gonna walk around the college and start filming everybody goodbye messages and stuff like that. And um, I put that into like a, instead of a yearbook, a DVD, which I paid someone fifty pounds to edit. And um, on the prom night, while everyone was in in the main hall dancing and stuff, I was outside set sell- up a little stand selling <laughs> DVDs of of you know goodbye messages and um and it's about space it's about three hours i probably made about over 350 pounds wow. just selling those dvds that i duplicated um and you know these these are just sort of little quirky ventures and you know the typical stuff like buying packet of sweets and and selling it on the table in the classrooms and stuff <laughs> uh it was, it was actually really good um timing because it was about the time when sort of jamie oliver sort of banned all sweets and and, and Coke and Fanta and all these fizzy drinks from schools. But obviously, there's still demand there. So you so. was
0: ready to switch up your business model exactly. to apples and
1: bananas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I was seizing opportunities while the demand was there and, and supply was short. Um, so just all these different sort of business ventures that I just had in mind that I was playing around with. But the real sort of the proper one was the Football Coaching Academy. And um, literally, I just got started with... Um, had no money or anything like that but I did have some friends who were qualified football coaches so I went to them and I said listen um, I've got this idea would you come and work with me for three months for free I can't pay you but I promise afterwards I'll I'll give you the money back and um, for some reason they said yes <laughs> and then um, I had uh, another guy who had lots of football equipment and I said can I borrow your football equipment on a, on a Sunday morning for two hours and I'll give it back to you um and he said yeah as well. And once I had the equipment, I had the kids there who were ready to learn and I had the coaches, just started being resourceful and making money from that. Um and then paid back my debts and started making more and more money and, and just growing the business from there. So it was, it was really just sort of being being resourceful at the time. Um and I was just doing it on weekends because obviously I was at school during Monday to Friday. Uh, so still Saturday and Sundays we were doing the coaching and the weekends. And, you know, parents used to see us in the local park and they used to walk by and think, Wow, right, this is really good, can my son join? And um, I'm like, yeah, there's a membership fee. And we just started growing from there. Well, literally we had no money for marketing. It was just through word of mouth. People were going back to their schools and telling their friends about it. And um, it, it, it just became really popular in the local area and started to grow and grow and grow.
0: Where do you think you got, I mean a lot of people have like ideas and stuff but it seems like you, you kind of spotted these little ventures in school and everyone kind of knows the guy who was selling sweets at school but why mm-hmm. do you think like um, you had something different, I mean in your book I think you mentioned about sort of um, converting ideas into action and how you seem to just see an idea and then you that's it, the next step is change it and kind of let's give it a go, um, why do you think people haven't got that and, and where do you think you got that from or what made you, is, it, is that just something inside your DNA like you say?
1: I think it's something that I, I did have to sort of cultivate. Um, it, as much as I would probably had, you know, good ideas, that was it, but I, I did st- still need mentors and people to sort of point it in the right direction and I did have to learn the hard way at times. Um, so one thing that I was really, really good at was following up in other people's footsteps and um, shadowing people and, and, and trying to tap into other people's mindsets. Um, I realised at a very young age, if I'm doing what everybody else is doing, I'm probably doing the wrong thing. Um, there's, I, I just, uh, I mean, I think when you're growing up with, you know, in a sort of teenage environment where there's peer pressure, and and you start realising that hang on, if you just keep following what everybody else is doing just because you know it's the cool thing to do, you're probably going to end up with everybody else's results, and you're just going to live like an average person and I, once I started finding mentors and, and role models, I realised that these people actually went against the grain and they stood out, so while everybody else was sort of out partying or or, or, or doing lots of crazy stuff I was trying to spot opportunities um, and really just go down a different direction because I knew, I didn't know right where it was going to take me exactly, but I just knew that I'd be in a much better position than the average guy or the average girl um, so I was always sort of not being rebellious, but um, trying to go against the grain of of popular opinion and and what everybody else was doing, and trying to resist the 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 simple temptations and just trying to um, think a lot more ahead, which I think a lot of young people don't do um they're all sort of living for now and living for the moment without sort of preparing for, for the future i when I was waking up in two thousand and six, I was really thinking about two thousand and fourteen. <laughs> so uh, my mindset was always where where, where am I going to be in the future? What am I preparing myself for? And and just for following the people who went against the grain, and and tapping into their mindset.
0: I mean, you, I saw from your, when I did some research on you, that you studied like psychology at A-level. How, how much of that actually kind of helped you to see how people work and why people work in certain ways? And, or have you always just had a real interest in why? I mean, to spot that, okay, if I carry on doing what everyone else is doing, I'm going to go get the same results. Like, I wasn't thinking about that at 16. I was probably the guy going out, <laughs> buying. Do
1: you know what, psychology played a, a huge part. I was always um, fascinated with human behaviour. Um, just observing people uh, and why certain people are successful and other people aren't, and why certain people make certain decisions. Um, Number one, I wanted it to, I think that whole fascination with trying to control people at that time, that's what what attracted me to psychology, trying to tap into people's mindset and see how people think. Um, But then I realized it was actually more than that, it was actually more stuff that I could actually apply to myself um, and realising that right these are how successful people think this is how unsuccessful people think I clearly want to be successful in the future what can I start doing and how can I start tapping into um, the successful mindset um, so psychology has played a huge part in understanding that and, and just basically understanding human behaviour I mean that's even another reason why I actually took up economics as well because that's just sort of how people behave with money or how people respond when, when taxes go up and stuff like that so just understanding how humans behave, I thought it would really help me. Number one, understand myself. So then I won't just fall victim to, to you know what what the the people controlling the mindsets are doing. I'd actually know how to control my own mindset. And um, it, it's it's even now the one of the most fascinating things is understanding companies' marketing methods and how they really sort of get consumers to behave in certain ways. You know, you see it with stuff like Black Friday, how 20% sales and just the whole marketing of it makes everybody act like lunatics <laughs> <laughs> for, a, for a day and they'll never act like that in any other day of the year. And just sort of understanding the psychology of business. Um, I always wanted to be the person controlling that so I can control it for myself for starters and then also influence other people to really create a better life for themselves as they can understand how they work. As well, but I needed to understand how people work first. So you um, was kind
0: of already get you was already preparing to sort of tap out the matrix at about seventeen.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think when I was doing the football coaching, I realised not a lot of these kids are going to be the next David Beckham, to be honest. But what could I leave them with that they could sort of take onto any other career path? And and with the whole sports psychology field, that is very very sort of powerful. You know, tapping into the the athletic mindset and how you sort of push past barriers and start learning stuff like goal setting and teamwork and and all that personal development. Um, I think as a coach, I had to be responsible for all these young people and and their emotions when they lost and their their attitude when they were succeeding. And we had the kids who were literally probably the next Cristiano Ronaldo's, but they already thought they were all that. So you had to sort of find ways to challenge them and, and keep getting the best out of people. Um, from a sports psychologist perspective, which really helps me in, in business coaching as well, um, understand that different people have different personalities. But how do you get the best out of somebody um, by finding what incentives really drive people?
0: What were some of the really key lessons you um, took from that first venture, the football academy?
1: The biggest one was the difference between being an entrepreneur and being someone that's enterprising. I initially set up the whole business around me um, and my schedule. If I was at uni or if I was at college on the weekdays, then I would set up the business on the weekends and um, I knew the days that I had off, so that was the days where I'd do all my emails and, and clients really come became sort of accustomed to to my schedule, which is one of the beautiful things about um, being, you know, working for yourself. You can create your own schedule and you can create the whole business around your lifestyle, um, but then, The problem comes if if your lifestyle changes, now your business has to change. Um, Mm and So I realized that for for the business to grow, I needed to really get out of the business. I was actually hindering, even though I set up the business, I was actually hindering the business's growth because you you have the dream in your mind and you think, okay, one day I'm going to be sipping on a cocktail in the Bahamas, (laughs) relaxing after I do all this hard work and my business is a success. The problem is, I couldn't do that because my business was a success, and the business was, I literally was the business. I was the marketing director, the sales director, the operations director, the coffee boy, everything. So the more you kind of successful... start
0: struggling with that sort of superhero syndrome where you feel the need to be doing everything. Because exactly. I know I've been stro- I've been struggling with that myself recently. Because I know I do a lot of video production stuff, and then I was going to New York this week, and mm. then two jobs come up, and you're like, "Well, I'm not here to film, and I'm not here to edit."
1: So, it. so it's it's like you know you you set up the business for a particular purpose, you know, maybe to be sitting on that on that island and and, and relaxing. But because the business is successful you realize that you're, you're working harder and harder and harder. So you never actually, you actually get further away from that, that end goal of why you set up the business. And um, you, I think understanding that you have to build systems and not build it all around yourself. So start bringing in people in because me as a person, I've only got 24 hours a day. And that means my business can only operate for 24 hours a day. Whereas if I bring in someone else, then all of a sudden we've tapped into 48 hours in one day and someone else 72 hours and so on and so on. Um, And I've I've only got a certain amount of strength, I've only got a certain amount of skills, bringing in more people to build the vision and building the vision around the system rather than around the actual entrepreneur. And that's when you become a real entrepreneur.
0: And when would you say is the right time to sort of bring people in? Because obviously people will be like, yeah, I'd love to kind of get somebody else in to help me with this part, but maybe I haven't got the cash flow yet. And so Mm. when, have you sort of, over time sort of got experience now, but okay, when's the right time? Or should you just go straight in, get the person so that you can get things up and running even quicker? Because it's a bit of a catch-22, you know, if you had someone trying to make you sales, be paying someone, then you make more sales, but then you're like, well, I haven't got the money yet to hire that person. Exactly.
1: Um, In a nutshell, I'd say once you've got the systems tested, um, once you've you've got the systems tested, so you could start off doing it yourself, but always have it in your end goal that by this date, someone's, I'm gonna replace myself. Basically, I'm gonna fire myself and hire somebody else and other people to, to, to manage the systems. But you can't get people in on something that isn't tested. Otherwise, they're just gonna be frustrated because you're telling them, right, read this script but the sales script doesn't actually work or you're telling them to make these sales calls but you know the leads are are rubbish so once you've actually got your systems in place yourself um, you get out so basically every time I'm working on a new startup my mentality is I'm just creating a prototype I'm not trying to create the complete business and grow the business Um, I just want to create a prototype and create a template so that I can have other people and hire other people to actually then run it and I could start working on the business rather than spending 24 hours a day inside the business and, and taking everything over. Um, so I think that once you've sort of done all your testing, straight away the next thing you should do is look to sort of fire yourself and get people in to actually run it.
0: Cool. Yeah. <clears throat> I want to jump straight into something you said in the book because I think this is crazy. You saw a man make 400,000 pounds in seven minutes. What yes. did that do to your world?
1: Well, that just sort of absolutely open my my sort of horizon and and start thinking a lot bigger you know i wasn't after seeing that i was thinking no, do you know forget this 30k a year salary that everyone's trying to strive for <laughs> this guy's just made like you know, almost half a million in, in seven minutes um so i mean i just having experiences like that and exposing yourself to to those type of people it really does help you dream a lot bigger And I think that's what separates um, sort of small entrepreneurs with big entrepreneurs. Is that they just dream bigger. They don't actually work harder. They just literally try to dream a little bit bigger. Um, And and it's the same energy required. It's the same 24 hours a day that they spend. And sometimes it's even the same amount of money that they spend just to achieve those bigger dreams. Um, So what? So what was drive bigger? Sorry. What was this guy doing then? And how the hell did you get around him? You know, he's doing what I'm doing right now. He was um, doing public speaking. Okay. so he had, he had, a, he had a, a course a seminar and he said um, I think the seminar was about £2,000 or something like that and um, he said everyone that signs up in the next 7 minutes they get it for, for this discount um, I think the discounted price was £2,000 actually I think it was like £10,000 before that mm-hmm. and I was just calculating by the amount of people that signed up within that 7 minute space of time he'd made almost half a million pounds and I was like wow it's this guy just made half a million pounds in front of my very eyes in seven minutes and he's doing what I'm doing. So it's like, you know, start dreaming a lot bigger, Junior. You know, there's so much more you could be doing. Um, and you know, you don't necessarily have to be, the people who are making lots of money, they don't necessarily be the best in their field. They're not necessarily the, the, um, even the richest, but they just work smarter. While the rest of us are working harder, these people are working smarter. Which is what I've started to adopt now. You know, start working smart rather than hard. You, you realise some of the, even a hard work is a good thing. It's a good trait to have. Um, I always encourage people to work smart as opposed to working hard, because you know some of the the poorest people in the whole world are are the hardest working people. Um, going back to the, the people in Africa, sort of digging mines and, and and the poorest people sort of sweeping sweeping the floors and the streets. That, that's that's a hard work. That's a hard day's work. Um but it's not necessarily brings them the type of wealth that they always aspire to. But so, working smart is 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 sort of the key to it.
0: And so how did you kind of get into this guy's company? Like why did he decide to hang out with you, if anything?
1: Literally I I was the the, the follower. I followed everybody um from a young age. And you know, when you're young and you say, Listen, I'm I'm interested in this, I want to learn. Um most people are actually quite kind to you and, and they want us to actually pass on their knowledge and their wealth. So it's um it's it's the wealth of experience anyway. I wish they'd pass on their wealth but it doesn't come <laughs> so easy as that. Um so I was literally doing other stuff that other people were not prepared to do. I was paying to attend seminars from a younger age. I was I was um going to all these networking events, I was skipping classes just so I could go and sit in the front row and ask all these questions. Um i i was totally locked in to 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 shadowing these people
0: and did that take time to build because i know people always you know i've been to something i went to one of your talks um i forgot it was one of the excel startup business talks and people are always afraid to ask questions like what is that what's about why why is that
1: do you know i again it's just a mentality thing it's um nobody wants to be known as the fool and you know something very powerful that I think 50 Cent said. He said, "The kid that asks a question might be a fool um, for five minutes because everyone will laugh at him. But if you never ask the question, then you're you're going to be a fool for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And because you never get the answer. So I'd rather just sort of write, I don't understand this. Could you please tell me this? Could you please show me how this happened? Um, even though everyone might laugh at you, at least you've got your answer. At the end of the day, um, I, I, I think it is that sort of that eagle mindset, I call it, of just going solo and not caring what anybody else thinks about you because you're, you're almost flying at a high altitude. You have a, a greater vision, basically. Um, so loads of people are afraid to ask questions. And, and at the end of the day, the, the kid who is afraid to ask questions um, doesn't deserve to be there. Once you, once you doesn't deserve to, to, to have the answer. And once you have that mentality, you'll never be afraid to ask any questions again. Did you feel like you know? I deserve this. I need to know this. So, yeah, I'll ask the questions and and, and I'll make the sacrifices.
0: I really followed the bit you were saying about the eagle mindset in the book. I really loved that and actually got that note down to actually talk about. It. Could you explain that a little bit better for us?
1: So the the eagle mindset. It's um it's something that um my my closest mental matchy, my oldest brother taught me is, and it's basically the mindset of a, of a champion, the thinking pattern of a champion. If you look at the greatest attributes of of an eagle, it's um. It flies higher above um, any other bird. It's a it's a bird of prey. It doesn't wait around. It's not passive. It actually it's a predator. Um, it, the the eagle mindset has what they call 2020 vision. Um, and there's so many other great attributes about eagles. Um, so sort of taking on that mindset of of how an eagle behaves and behaving like that in business is what we call the the eagle mindset. Um, so key, two key attributes I talk about in the book is that eagle goes solo, um, which is hard for many people because the rest of us we we like to be birds of a feather that flock together. If everyone else is doing it, then we'll do it. And and it goes back to to what I was saying when I was younger. I always wanted to go against the grain because everyone else was doing something. I did. But if, if everyone else was flying west, I want to go fly south or or something. Just just to have a different perspective and and um, fly a lot higher than everyone else. Just to have a different. Uh, bird's eye view, to seeing how everyone behaves and seeing what I need to do um, and another thing is the the eagle flies smart, it doesn't fly hard Um where all the other birds are flapping you, you very rarely see an eagle flap, an eagle actually waits for winds to come, it waits on the mountain tops till to, to all the winds start coming and then it, it literally glides off the power of the winds Um so when a storm hits the eagle can fly above the storm because it's using all the power to fly over the storm well. Other birds will be destroyed in a storm, so it's just sort of seeing how the eagle perceives things and seeing how the eagle number one works smart rather than working hard, and the eagle just has um, operates at a higher altitude and and goes solo and starts seeing things from a different perspective. And if if you sort of take those attributes into life and start applying it practically, right, start working smart rather than hard and start seeing things from a different perspective, not just following the crowd and following all the other birds. Um, you'll start to see things and, and differently you start to um, seize opportunities that other people can't and you'll, you'll end up in places where other people won't be and you'll start doing things that other people can't do and it's just a whole sort of transformation metaphor developing that equal mindset I think it's really strong I love it thank you <laughs>
0: Um, another thing you spoke about in the book, and I don't know whether this is the same guy that made the 400k, or is it um, your experience with Action Jackson? You said something about how he, um, I think he was—he's a, a talk a speaker as well—and you got around him, and you kind of wanted to learn from him. And there was a whole story about um, how you got stuck giving out leaflets at one point. Could you call, sort of talk about that story?
1: Yes, um, it's now that I, I love that because um, yeah, he was putting on a seminar, and I said, "Yeah, I'll be more than happy to help out," and. Um, so he, 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 said, he sent me out to actually go and hand out some leaflets. And I thought, okay, great. I'm going to be handing out leaflets in the street. It's not the most glamorous thing I thought. <laughs> um, but then I was just there and getting, it was almost like, you know, you feel sorry for the big issue people when you see people just w- walking past them. But I was just handing out these, these, these uh, leaflets. Hey, would you come to the seminar? Would you come to the seminar? And I'm telling you, I got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of rejections. Mm-hmm. And you, you just sort of feel like, right. You get fed up, but you've got because you start taking it personally. And and I went back to him. I was like, "This isn't working." And he kept on sending me back out there. And I'm like, "It's not working. It's not working. It's, it's not just working. breaking you down." It's, just, it's literally just breaking my morale. And I'm, I'm I'm like, I'm young. I shouldn't be doing this. I'm <laughs> this isn't this isn't good for me psychologically. <laughs> um, until he he gave me the secret. He's like, "What you're developing, you're developing that thick skin of rejection. You're going to get lots of rejection out there." Um, I know you're going to get a luxury rejection. And I'm like, wait, what do you mean you sent me out there knowing the full well that this isn't going to work? You've just been wasting all my time. He's like, listen, I'm developing that thick skin on you. And, and um, I want you to, to, to adopt this mindset, which was the, the SW mindset. Some will, some won't, so what? So some will like it, some won't like it, so what? Some will take the leaflet, some won't take the leaflet, so what? And, and the key thing about it is the last SW, which is someone's waiting, Someone's waiting to, to read your book, someone's waiting to hear your business, someone's waiting to accept you, someone's waiting for you to walk through that door and say, you're the person we've been looking to hire. So just having that mentality, um, I didn't take it, it didn't affect me as much, making sales calls in my business or, or, or trying to tell people about my idea. I knew some people would, would be up for it, some people would enroll in the vision, some weren't enroll in the vision, so what. I knew that I was working at Greater Purpose because I was trying to serve somebody out there who was waiting.
0: It's funny actually, because when I was about 16, I think my first job I applied for was um, doing like door-to-door sales. Mm. And so I was like, for one week I did like door-to-door, like each day they'd have like a new product that you'd have to just knock door-to-door trying to sell to people. And then I, I gave up after about, I think like four or five days because I guess I didn't really have that person to say, no, that was part of the process. You were meant to get failed so many yeah. times. But after a week, I was just like, this cannot be this cannot be life, like, <laughs> yeah yeah can this be real? No one told me that, okay, this was part of a learning experience. But when I look back, I'm like, oh, actually that, that's why I actually had that down there, that SW method. I wish someone had told me that and sort of said that to me because then you'd be much more confident going back and say, yeah, well, yeah. it's just yeah. a numbers game at the end of the day.
1: It, it's about being equipped and and this is all part of the, the entrepreneurial mindset that I teach um, most people go out there and say yeah I'm going to set up a business and my first business is going to be very successful and it's going to take over the whole world And, but chances are it actually doesn't your very first business um, it's actually 90% chance that it's going to fail um, they say according to statistics it's not until you get to your 13th business that you actually then make it hit the jackpot but how many people actually stick at it till the 13th business um, but if someone told you that right here's the plan Sell thirteen businesses and fail fast, and then on your thirteenth or your fourteenth, and then you're going to be success. You're coming with a completely different mindset. You don't have that sort of expectations of the first couple of businesses You're just really using those as a testing ground, and I think that's how most entrepreneurs see things. So you know they might get setbacks, but to them it's more of a learning curve, and okay. it stuck with me a lot. I mean when I was when I was doing my driving test, I <laughs> I, I, I thought my driving test quite bad, you know about seven six times or so but every single time i was just seeing it as feedback i'm getting feedback i'm getting feedback i'm getting closer to the day i'm going to pass and because i've got that mentality that you know i'm not expecting it to to go straight perfect straight first time it'll be great if that happens um but i i it'll be even great i want to actually learn the process i want to learn the recipe i to make sure i want to iron out all my mistakes
0: it's funny actually because I saw your um, YouTube video of your celebration when you finally passed (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's hilarious Um, another thing you say in the book um, which I think a lot of people don't do nowadays especially young people is just like respecting your time
1: Mm. Mm.
0: I mean a lot of people have loads of spare time you've got Netflix nowadays but a lot of people just
1: (laughs) don't really see it that way they think well I'm young I can can wait it out so no I did I, I put a monetary value on every hour and um, when you do that, and every year I increase that value. I think one year it was probably five pounds. Now it's probably about almost forty pounds. So if if, um, if I'm if I'm spending an hour doing something, it better be worth at least forty pounds or equivalent or more, um, because I'm exchanging. Because you have to understand, you might not have money to start up a business, but you do have the greatest resource, which is time. And we all get twenty-four hours of time every single day. Um, so that. If you haven't got money, you could actually be putting time towards building an asset if you haven't got money to buy an asset. Um, so your time has to be very, very valuable, which is why I'd rather spend money to save time. Because um, money, I could keep making money over and over again, but time, um, unless someone can invent a time machine, I'm never going to get that back. <laughs> so it's actually the richest commodity. It's more than water. It's more than, than oil. It's more than anything. Time is, is so valuable because time is what produces everything else. It's what you exchange for all that wealth um, so now you know, if I'm having a, a conversation with someone I want to make sure it's a valuable conversation if I'm having meetings I want to make sure it's a valuable meeting um, I always ask people to send me agendas before any meeting um, if, if someone's pitching to me I, I do this thing where listen, you have 10 minutes not to be rude to them but you know, if you can't get your idea out right in 10 minutes then you probably need to go back and work on it and then come back later on otherwise it, it's going to sort of stretch and it's just going to be long winded um, I hate having meetings about a meeting, about a meeting. <laughs> I I just wanna sort of get right down and start sinking my teeth and if we're gonna make something happen, let's make it happen. But it's just sort of finding that respect for your time because it is the greatest sort of commodity that you'll you'll ever get and you'll never once you spend it, you're never gonna get it back. Um so really seeing time as an investment. Everything I'm doing with my time, it has to be an investment for something else. Um I think when people start adopting that mentality and start actually putting a value on it It could be you know even if you're putting 20 pounds um, an hour of your time if you start putting a monetary value on your time you start realizing that um, okay me going to the shops and spending three hours in sainsbury's or something picking up groceries it's almost 60 pounds worth of time um, i could just pay someone else to go and do that for me while i'm spending um, time building an asset or building a business or doing something that's more worthwhile Uh, So, yeah, I mean, there's a saying, there's a quote that rich people spend money so they can save time. Poor people spend time so they can save money.
0: So what would you say about like people who are kind of, because in a way you're saying you put uh, like a price on your time, but then a lot of people get kind of stuck trading time for money. And that might just be, hey, a part time job, which is just a minimum wage. Like also people say, well, that's a bad trap to get caught in where you're literally... Is it, or are you just trying to say then in that sense just up how much you feel your worth for that hour?
1: Um, do you know, I make no apologies about it. It is a terrible trap to get caught in. Um, it is a bad trap. But obviously, I understand people have to work. Work serves a purpose, which is why I I've sort of set up the seminars to teach people how to get out of the rat race, um, which is exchanging your time for money. Um, so if 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 you and and no matter what level you're at, even if you're working part-time job and whatnot, sometimes the lower your your income is probably easier to get out of the rat race. And people don't actually understand that um, because most most of the time your your living standard is quite low anyway. Um, so I help people set up passive income so that they don't have to exchange their time. And if you could set up a passive income generator, that would supplement the amount of income that you're you're making from exchanging your time for it, i.e. on your job, then you'll never really have to work your your job. You've just got all the time in the world to keep building more assets, building more assets like businesses. Um I think it's 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 probably the worst transaction you can make to exchange your time for for money. And if you look at the the mega rich, they never do that. They take other people's time, the employees, and they even use other people's money, investors. This is what entrepreneurs do. They get employees and they get investors' money and, and employees' time, and then that's when they start building their wealth. Um, so it, I think really it's 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 actually a mindset shift for most people. Um, we're never ever taught that in school. We're never taught to manage our time like this in school. In fact, we're taught and trained to, to develop skills so you can sell your skills and your time for money Um, whereas the new school of thinking is develop skills and exchange your ideas for money so you have more time
0: definitely Um, so for example say without giving away the secret sauce if someone comes to you and they're kind of working minimum wage and they're like okay I'll come to your seminar like what sort of um, passive or side sort of um, entrepreneurship gig would you sort of or could you give an example of something that they start on the side or What's sort of like the easiest is there some sort of easy way that people can get going on the side?
1: Yeah, I think sort of setting up like a, a membership platform is is very good because um, there's three key things about membership platforms. Number one it's the uh, predictable cash flow because people are paying you every single month, um, so you know sort of out of budget. Um, or and also apart from the sort of cash flow, it's got usually got good profit margins, and um, it's usually a good return on investment because you're you're working. If you are putting your time to it, you're working on something that you, you love. It could be a, um, setting up a I don't know if, if, you're, if you teach Spanish, it could be Spanish classes and have a membership platform for that. If you teach music, it could be sort of music classes. If you teach sports, it could be a sports class, basketball and all sorts of fitness class that you could just set up. even if you had 20 members paying 30 pounds a month, that, that's almost you know, probably more than some property investors get from rental. Um, that you're making every single month, and all you're doing is is what you you love. Um, I don't really encourage people to, I don't know. Typically, most people think, "Oh, right, let me start a network marketing venture or, or get into mm. something like that."
0: MLM and stuff like
1: that. Yeah, but the I think the problem with that and the reason people don't get the level of success that they were once sort of sold onto is because they're not actually doing what they like. Um, some people are really passionate about the, the MLM, but most people are just doing it because they think it's it's, it's an easy cash cash earner, but think whatever you're putting your time to your passion will be tested
0: well my my little sister got that lesson recently because she signed up to um this mlm thing and then she's like yeah yeah yeah, i'm gonna be like making this much money i'm meeting people who are making yeah, this exactly. much money and i'm like okay now you have to put in the hard work and that's the bit where the, yeah, exactly. people just have to like they're like oh well actually yeah. i'll try and get someone else to do the hard work for me exactly. and then it just kind of falls flat and i haven't heard anything yeah. more from it anyway
1: it, it, it never works and i think that's just a lesson in life mm-hmm. uh, your your passion you're never actually gonna put as much work in and someone who's passionate about it. So I try to encourage people, rather than saying, right, here's a box standard thing that you can just sort of get into and, and make money. If you're gonna be pointing your time towards something, put it towards something that you're sort of passionate about. So I help people create businesses around what they're passionate about, um, around what they like doing, um, if, if, if that's what they want to do. Um, some, some people don't actually wanna work around their passion. Some people's passion don't actually bring in much money so for that, I sort of find ways around that, that they can actually keep doing what they're passionate about, keep putting their time towards what they're passionate about, find ways to sort of monetize it rather than the traditional route. Or just set up something that is just literally a cash earner, which helps you live the lifestyle that, you know, maybe you want to set up a charity, you want to manage the charity, then have there's nothing wrong with having a business on the side that you're not really involved in what someone else is managing, but you just own it and you set it up. That's bringing you the income to, to help you live your lifestyle and travel or do whatever you want.
0: And by these membership sites, you mean like an online where people sort of scale, sell their skills or whatever? I mean, because I, I know like especially I've been looking into all these sort of membership sites where maybe if you're somebody who, say, does video editing or something like that, you could teach as a course and you sell that course online. Is that what you're talking about?
1: Yeah, that, that's one way. Um, but even offline as well. Um, I think yeah, even though we live in a digital age, um, let's not take for granted the things that can't be sold um, online like like you know that like the fitness classes um people still go to the gym every single day because you can't really go to the gym online or well, even though they have these sort of home home programs and stuff like um insanity workout mm-hmm. uh, there's there's still sort of a need for people to connect in in local environments and obviously if you're working locally your marketing is usually a lot a lot lower because it's just sort of word of mouth locally and and sometimes you might not need thousands of people to make that level of income that you want it might just be a couple 50 or 60 members that you need um but to make it really really scalable you'd either have to franchise that or go online um so yeah so there is online methods and there's offline methods um, well you know the membership thing is is just one example there's 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 so many there's products that people can launch and and just keep releasing if you're if you, if you're so sort of, if you have skills in that area um there's there's advice that people can give as sort of a consultant um so there's lots of simple ways and opportunities basically. So I just, in my courses and seminars, I highlight different opportunities that are available to people that they probably didn't even think of. Mm -hmm. And I let people pick what what fits their need, what fits their vision and what what could bring in the level of income that they need. Um, Because at the end there, it goes back to that whole thing, work around what you're passionate about, which is the same reason why you want to leave your job because you're not passionate about it anymore.
0: So that's all you're getting this week. If you've enjoyed what Junior's had to speak about so far and you want to hear much more of him, then make sure you tune in for the next episode, which should be out in a week's time on Friday. And um, yeah, have a great week and speak to you soon.